Do you want your business to grow faster? Are you open to new and out-of-the-box ways to drive revenues and increase value? How do you imagine the most successful entrepreneurs and business leaders double, triple, or expand their businesses tenfold or more? The answer is deals. This is a weekly podcast featuring conversations with business owners, executives, and leaders as we reveal behind-the-scenes details that give you, our listeners, the confidence to pursue your own deal-driven growth. On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions, to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for 35 years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the Deal Quest Podcast. Let's get started. DealQuest listeners and viewers, I am so excited to have Dean McFlicker on the podcast. He is regarded as one of Hollywood's top marketing expert experts. He's an award-winning producer and director of some of the biggest productions with the greatest stars. He directed uh, J-Lo and John Legend in the Super Bowl uh, spots, producing events for Dolly Parton Radio uh, City Music Hall and creating hit shows starring globally beloved minions. Um, I, I mean, the list of TV and, 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 and you know, and, and other productions, I can go on and on and on. His full bio is going to be in the show notes, so definitely check it out. He's done Broadway. He's done TV. He's worked with some of the most amazing folks. He's also a, a professional speaker and has, has a phenomenal TEDx talk. Um, and he has a company, McFlicker Media, now that, that works with not only folks in the entertainment field, although plenty of those, but also business folks on their marketing. I am so excited to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So um, the accomplishments are impressive. Um, I'm always excited uh, when I've got um, folks from creative fields on uh, because one of the things we do on this podcast is sort of blow the myths around who are deal ma- who are deal makers and where deals are done. And you know, although I certainly have had my share of investment bankers and people from financial services and, you know, tech, uh, you know, companies that are raising money in these stereotypical ways that deals are done. I also have this big variety of folks. And, um, you know, some people think, well, you know, it's in the creative fields. What deals are they doing there? Well, I mean, we had Remy Blumenfeld on episode 117, you know, who's done some amazing stuff in entertainment. I don't know if you know him, Dean, but, uh, but Remy is, you know, has talked about all the deals that he did. Um, I want to give a shout out to Lee Hayes, who uh, was uh, the person who introduced uh, me to Dean. And as you know, folks, if you listen and watch this podcast, she's been in on a couple episodes, most recently episode 120. Um, and, you know, Lee is a speaker and manager and does other stuff. She talked about this uh, uh, menopause scoff that she uh, she related. So, so we're going to I love when I have guests from different industries to blow those myths around who's a deal maker. Um, Dean, before we go there, though, I want to take you back to when you were growing up as a little kid maybe sure. eight, 10, 12 years old. Okay. What did you want to be? Just a few uh, years ago, obviously, because exactly. I'm very young, right? You know, exactly. <laughs> uh, what did you want to be when you were growing up? Because for most folks, it's not usually what they're doing now, but who knows, maybe you're an exception. No, you're absolutely right. For so many of us, it's like, you know, a curving path towards success. And I think we all just have to be open 
to the different opportunities that come before us. I started as a kid performer. I've always been a ham. I've been that, you know, guy who put on shows in the backyard, got all of my neighbors together and we would make up a show and I'd produce it and try to get their parents to pay, you know, to buy tickets to see them (laughs) in the show in our backyard. So I've always been quite bossy, I guess, always been a director and producer at heart. So I started as a performer. I, you know, moved from the backyard into doing uh, performing in Hollywood as a singer and dancer and performer in music videos. And then I was also um, an original cast member of the Disney musical Newsies. So I started in front of the camera, but nowadays I work behind the camera and I was happy to make the transition. I love it. And I know um, that you were uh, saying to me in the previous conversation that, you know, Newsies was, which we all think is, you know, this hugely popular thing, wasn't as popular in the beginning that, you know, it's like it's, it's, it has a reputation now, but it didn't start out that way. You're absolutely right. At the time that we filmed Newsies, um, I went to the theater and it was like me and my friends were the only ones in there. The movie bombed. It was not a success when it first was released in theaters many years ago. And then, uh, you know, it was something that I didn't even include on my resume. I removed it from my resume as a performer because it was considered such a failure. And then in recent years, it's gained a cult following. I think young kids grew up watching it on the Disney Channel. I think they ran it in loop because it was a failure. And so it was cheap to air it. And so (laughs) lots of kids grew up watching it and it's become this big success now. Yeah. What's interesting to me is I've seen, so I remember in, I think it was like 1999, I, I was um, in a thing that happened to be for the Coro New York Leadership Institute, and they, they did some exercise where, for some reason, they asked a bunch of us in this retreat on what our favorite movie was. And for me, I said Shawshank Redemption, and I was the only one, the only one that said that. And I had yeah. seen it in the movies, and um, and apparently, like, a similar thing happened with Shawshank in that it did not do very well in the movies. It wasn't super popular when it started. It got yes. some critical acclaim, but... Um, but then it was in rotation on TV over and over and over again. And now when they do these surveys, it comes up as, you know, one of the top uh, uh, movies for, for most people. But that wasn't true in the beginning. It's only because they've seen it over and over again on TV. Well, yes, we'll say it got better with time or perhaps uh, Newsies was just ahead of its time. We'll say my performance was just ahead of its time and it took a while for the world to catch up. We'll just we'll, we'll just that. pretend that's what the case was, we'll right? Go with that. Okay. We'll go with that. <laughs> um, so um, what, um, when was the transition to behind the, you know, from in front of the camera to behind the camera? Well, it wasn't a light switch. It wasn't like that, of course, you know? I mean, uh, you're an extremely successful person in so many different ways. You know that it takes a lot of grind to get there. And so it was, a, it was a slow transition of working into becoming a choreographer and then a director on stage and that sort of thing. And really just honing my skills and always knowing that I was more comfortable behind the scenes. So it was a progression uh, over time and um, uh, getting different opportunities and being open to them, which is really great because I got to wear a lot of different hats, got to be an assistant writer on this show and then an assistant director on this show and then an assistant producer on this show and really had the experience, which has helped me so much now with McFlicker Media, where I have to wear all the hats and, you know, oversee everything. It's great that I've had a background where I've, you know, played those different roles in different types of productions. I love it. And we're going to we're going to talk in a moment about some of the some of the types of deals you do now and the difference between a creative producer and what some of us think about it as producers is the people sort of raise the money and, you know, and, and, and sign the talent. Um, but I'm going to take you back again. What 
what was the, you know, it, it could be anything that comes to mind, whether you, when you were a kid, a little later in your career, whatever, what was the first deal of any type that you could remember doing? I, you know, uh, we joked about it before about putting on the shows in the backyard, but I think of that as a deal. It was the art of the deal of convincing all of the kids in the neighborhood to follow what I wanted them to do and then convincing them to show up for rehearsals and um, convincing, you know, you know, uh, craft service, my mom to make the, you know, lemonade or whatever it was to serve all of us, uh, convince uh, somebody to, you know, be in charge of making the set, meaning borrowing their lawn chairs or whatever it was. So I think the the art of the deal is something that uh, we practice from early on, and we all can get better and better at honing those skills. I love it. I love it. And, and you know, and frankly, right, a lot of what you know, you did in the backyard there and, and, you know, bringing together these key people is what a creative producer does. Yes, absolutely. It's the, it's the, it's the art of bringing together all of the different disciplines to make one cohesive entertainment package. And isn't that what we do with all businesses? You have somebody who works on the budget. You have somebody who works, um, you know, um, on the legalities of, of the negotiation of the things that are going together. You have a marketing department, you have your sales department. So I think all businesses can relate to the idea of that you have to bring together all of the different disciplines and all of the people and their different expertise. And you have to be rowing in the, in the same direction and you have to bring the deal together in order to move your business forward. So whether it's an entertainment product or it's a widget that's being produced in a factory, it's the same concept. And I think that that a good producer is like a good CEO and bringing together the facets of the company. And I, I would, I would imagine, and I've known, you know, from other situations that all of those arrangements look different, right? I mean, some, some people are employed, there's some outside contracting, there's, you mm-hmm. know, key strategic partners. I mean, there's strategic alliances, whatever you want to call them, you know? Um, so can you talk a little bit about all of those moving pieces and how one would, you know, bring that together on, Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can give, as you said, the art of the deal is different in each situation. Every single, you know, product that you're producing uh, can bring different permutations. Last year, um, as you had mentioned, I had uh, the great opportunity of producing the world's first Minions holiday special, which was a deal that brought together Universal Pictures, Illumination Studios, and NBC television. So you have these three separate business entities that all have to do a deal together. Um, and, and it was, you know, a wonderful product. At the network, I've had an opportunity to produce all sorts of different types of things, lots of marketing for many of the biggest shows um, that NBC has had in the past. I was part of the team that launched The Voice. I helped launch This Is Us, America's Got Talent, even the Peacock Streaming Network. And now, as I mentioned with my own company, McFlicker Media, I'm producing not just for film and television, but for business clients, because great storytelling is not limited to the entertainment industry. It's the heart of marketing, you know, any successful business or product. And so I think, as I said before, it's really about bringing together the different pieces that could be, um, you know, a celebrity endorsement for your product, or it could just be the star salesman of the division and making them part of your business deal. It's the same idea of bringing everyone together to sort of, you know, reach your goals as it might be. I love it. And, you know, and one of the things that I've talked about in the past, and we've had some, some folks on from different fields, is that, you know, we make this distinction here at DealQuest of, 
organic growth, which is through sales and marketing and providing great products and services and and deal-driven growth, right? Which is all these various types of deals, but they're not mutually exclusive. And I always say you have to be able to have organic growth. You need to be able to get a customer, a client, a a viewer, a a listener, a subscriber, whatever, whatever it is in your field. Um, But um, you know, even so, you know, marketing itself for me goes into the bucket of organic growth, right? You know, you sell and you market, whatever. But in doing marketing, there are deals that get done, right? Absolutely. Strategic alliances. You talked about bringing in a celebrity endorser, right? Yeah. That's a yeah. deal. I mean, yes. the marketing content and producing that might be, you know, for me in the category of organic growth. But when you bring in a celebrity endorser, or you do some sort of strategic alliance, or you bring in a key, you know, partner to help, you know, produce or market, you know, market the show, or you know, those are all deals, right? Yes, absolutely. Yes, and. Um... And often, as you know, when you see a movie, there's, uh, you know, the opening credits, you see 10 different vanity cards of the different production companies involved. And that's because there's a very complicated deal and everybody needs to bring something to the table. Right. And uh, so it's interesting. Do you, do you find, because you do with McFlucan Media now work in the entertainment field and in, in, other, in other fields, you know, there's some stereotypes, right? And I'm always one to want to, uh, you know, blow up stereotypes when they're not true. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and to acknowledge uh, that sometimes the, there's truth, under, you know, there's a reason a stereotype comes about. Oh, I'm dying to know where you're going with this, because I have no idea what you're about to say. Tell me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, having uh, having been in the creative field and now working with businesses in other fields, right? Yeah. Um, you know, do you find that uh, whether it's dealing with the personalities, whether it's, you know, dealing, you know, whatever, that there is a difference or is that stereotype of creative folks kind of overblown? It's overblown. I think there are divas in every industry. Um, and I love working with business clients because they often are very focused on uh, the specific message um, of the deliverables versus in the creative process. Sometimes it's a little bit more of a discovery of, are we going to make it more of a love story or more of an action thing? When you're selling a house, sometimes it's a little bit clearer of, of what the ultimate goal is, but it comes down to great storytelling, regardless of what it is that you're doing. You know, we live in an, in an era of information overload, right? I mean, Boring stuff becomes invisible because everything is constantly bombarding us, competing for our attention, gramming, zooming, snapping, messengering, memeing, gifing. I mean, in a world of too many choices, the solution is to ignore the ordinary stuff. You know, mass media used to try to smooth out all of the rough edges to reach the largest audience. Well, that doesn't work anymore. Now you have to connect with your customer. You have to connect with your consumer in a more meaningful way. And at McFlicker Media, I show you how to do some of that. That's great. That's great. And, and are you fine? Let's, let's talk about some of the other trends you're seeing, right? Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, at least we've been hearing, and I've seen some evidence of it, even on like, let's say, you know, uh, commercial TV spots from big companies, um, you know, is, is a move towards at least, trying to be seen as more socially conscious, uh, sure. you know, allowing different voices to come up, cause-based marketing. Yes. You know, things like that. What, what are you seeing around that whole area? Well, you know, I think in general, in order to make an impact, you have to tap into a deeper universal truth. It can't be just about the widget itself. It has to be about something more meaningful in people's lives, why they might want 
that widget. As Simon Sinek says, you have to find the why behind the what of your company, its product, or whatever it is that you're doing. I like to say that sell is a four-letter word. Instead, you have to tell the story of why somebody would be interested in your business. What is the story that it plays in the marketplace? What's its role? What is the character? In life and in business, you can produce the story that you want to unfold. Mm. So where do people do that or companies do that well? And then, you, you know, where do they misstep? Because we certainly had seen plenty of examples of missteps, right? Where sure. people try to create a narrative, a story, uh, uh, associate them, themselves with particular trends or causes, and they really do it poorly. Yes, know? it has to be organic. Kind of yeah, work. you're absolutely right. It has to be a natural fit. You know, it has to like truly... Uh, match your product, your services, or it's or it can it can seem ridiculous. Every every marketer tells a story. Um, successful marketers don't talk only about features and benefits. They tell a relatable story that is truthful, that is organic to, for the product or services that they're talking about, and we believe it when it's done well. You know, when somebody buys a new house, you aren't just selling them on the square footage and the number of bedrooms and bathrooms. Yes. You have to mention those things, but that isn't the full story. You know, you, you want to tap into something authentic and true and relatable. Um, you know, you want to think about what does the new house possibly mean to this person? Perhaps it means more success. Perhaps it represents um, a better family life. Uh, perhaps it represents the sense of community for a neighborhood that they want to be part of. Uh, you want to just tap into something that's more meaningful because when we care, we share and your business grows. Yeah, n- n- no question about that. And, you know, and, and uh, listen, it, it's, it's especially with all the noise these days, mm-hmm. it's not easy to do, which is why, you know, frankly, you know, folks, folks like you that really know how to how to do that. Tell like, a story. Sure <laughs> was that? I said it's people like me who, who tell a story. Yeah, we'll tell us, but you know, know how to tell a story authentically in a way that resonates with the market. Uh, And and I'm sure, you know, obviously, all of your uh, background as a performer and as behind the, you know, the the scenes and working with, you know, in entertainment. I mean, you know, that's what entertainment's trying, you know, trying to do, right? Is tell a story people will relate to, and you know, so I'm sure that's helped a lot in terms of the marketing side of things. Absolutely. Absolutely. I like to say, if all the world's a stage, your life hack is to be a producer. <laughs> well, you know, and, and it's interesting because I, you know, you know, it's so funny. I, I made a conscious decision when I started this podcast that I would not script it. And I don't, I'm not judging any people who do scripted podcasts. It, everything's different. But I love the fact sometimes, like I, I end up asking questions or going places where, you know, based upon what the guest says that I have no idea I was going to go. Um, so what just came to my mind was, um, you know, I, I like this idea of being a producer. And one of the things that I believe in in life, just at a much more sort of fundamental, for me, it's a spiritual level, is that we're all conscious creators, right? You know, if we're doing our lives, I don't want to use the word right, like in judgment, but if, yes. you know, you know the, the, we can have the best lives if we understand that we are, we are conscious creators and that we don't live at the expense of things, although things do happen that we don't control, but sure. we at least have control over our relationship to those things. That happen, and I believe we can consciously create our lives. And and you know, one of the things that I've uh, I don't know if I've shared on this podcast, but I've shared in other contexts is you know, many years ago, I'm I'm in an entrepreneurial group, and we do themes every year. And 
I don't know, it might've been 10 or so years ago, we had a thing called ideal life now, mm. right? Mm-hmm. How do we have more of our ideal life now? Like not, we're not going to work and then someday we'll retire and then do all these things we love. Like how do we have our ideal life now? And just that, that shift in mentality and that way of applying conscious creation, like how do I create more of my ideal life now has so altered my life over the last decade or so. Um, so, you know, it just comes to mind and it relates to, you know, I think it's a, you know, I'm basically, I'm saying the same thing, right. That yeah. we're a producer and we can produce all, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love, I love that. That's, you know, something that has been meaningful in your life and part of so much of your ongoing success in so many different areas, Corey, you know, you're tapping into a lot of what my Ted talk was about, uh, yeah. which was how to, you know, the subtitle was how to get what you want using a producer's perspective. So it's very much like you're saying in business, you know, in life and in business, when it really matters, how do you take charge of opportunities and shape the decisions that are going to, you know, impact your life and those make it or break it moments. And so I have found using a narrative organizational structure based on film and television techniques is a great sort of methodology, at least to examine the situation and try to, from a producer's perspective, influence what happens. And so in my TED talk, I break it down to, you know, five specific key points of film and television that can be applied to any business or life situation. So we're not going to go through all five and people should go watch (laughs) Dean's TED talk, but why don't you give us one or two, um, you know, of those producer, you know, approaches or techniques. Absolutely. So, you know, one of them is, you know, uh, thinking about dialogue, being very specific. You know, we tailor um, our message often to the audience that we're speaking to. You're going to talk differently when you're hanging out with your friends with a beer on Friday night than when you're in church on Saturday, you know, Sunday morning with grandma. And neither uh, use of your language is fake or artificial. There's just different sides of yourself, different parts of your personality. So in that same sort of way, how we naturally adjust our language, I encourage people to look at their dialogue in devising an effective communication plan based on who they want to speak to. Specific audiences, when it comes to the marketing place for your business, you're going to want to use certain verbiage terminology that's going to be more effective in communicating with the people that you want to reach. And again, to reiterate, none of this is about being inauthentic with your product or your business or services. It's about honing your message to be uh, more impactful and more truthful to the people you want to speak to. Yeah, no, that's, that's powerful. And I love the fact that you focus on the fact that it's not authentic. It's not like we're just designing the message because the audience wants to hear it. We're looking at, and I believe this, right? You know, we all, we're all, you know, despite the fact that uh, that we live in a world of, of sound bites and, and trying to sort of label people, right? Yeah, yeah. We're all complex uh, beings uh, with many different yeah. aspects of us that, that are true to ourselves. And, you know, for me, I agree with that, you know, that you sort of, if you're smart, you, you, you do something that's consistent with who you are, but you just pick that aspect of you or that way of expressing that's yeah. true to you. That's most, you know, that will most resonate with the audience or the people or, you know, whoever, and that's true, whether you're, you know, whether you're pitching a client for business or whether you're, you know, raising capital or whether Absolutely. you are, you know, putting together a production or you're yeah. in a marketing plan. Right. You know? Yeah. And I think you're absolutely right. One of the reasons why I think that coming from a television background has been really helpful in doing presentations and sizzles and audiovisual, you know, sales pieces for different corporate clients is because television is ongoing. 
Unlike a making a movie trailer where I could make it anything I want. Once you bought that movie ticket, whether you like the movie or not, you already spent the money. Television is ongoing. So I've had the experience in having to tell a truthful story to get people invested because they need to come back. If they watch one episode of a show that does the company no good in the same sort of way as if I fool you into making a deal and it's not a good deal, you're not going to want to work with me again. If I, you know, uh, do a sales presentation for your company and, you know, it isn't truthful, you're not going to want to work with that company again or buy their product again. And so television has been a great uh, background for me in working with corporate clients in producing audio and video for them because they have to have truthful, interesting stories that make their customers want to continue coming back. Yeah. Let's take a break from the show for a minute so I can invite you to a new way to determine your deal readiness. I created a fast and easy assessment that will determine exactly how deal ready you are. Once you complete the assessment, I use your responses to identify the obstacles that are holding you back from being a deal-driven growth genius. It's as easy as heading to coreycupfer.com slash assessment. That's coreycupfer.com slash assessment and filling out a few multiple choice questions. I'll be checking in after the episode to see what your results are. Now back to the show. Let's talk about the the medium a little bit too, right? Because... Um, you know, big companies, and I don't know, well, maybe you'll answer this question first in terms of the range of size of companies that you tend to work with. Sure. Um, but certainly, you know, the, the wrap on bigger companies is, you know, like in, in all areas that they pivot more slowly and whatever. And you'll hear people like Gary Vaynerchuk and others who, you know, mm-hmm. rail against these companies that are still putting a lot of money into traditional media, which doesn't work as well anymore. And right, right. doing more online and things like that. What are you seeing in terms of the marketing mix? And, you know, certainly, we all know, certainly, at least on online, you know, video is so much more impactful. Uh, yes. you know. um, so what are you seeing in terms of that marketing mix and, you know, and trends and types of companies you work with? Um, the push is to video, as you say. I mean, we all see it probably in our in our own lives, the the um, how we try to read the news and there's less and less of the written word and more visual images. Um, there is the push towards multimedia in just about every industry. Um, it's, it's, um, I think that the proliferation of video screens um, has also pushed that a little bit more. You know, um, when I began in the industry, billboards were um, static. And now, as we know, the world is turning into Times Square with moving billboards in just about every city. So the push to having video product um, just about everywhere for your business is more and more important. Again, it isn't just about having something flashy, though. You want it to truly represent your company and the story that you want to tell in the marketplace. Love it. So in terms of Midflicker Media and the, the work you do for clients, are there key strategic, do you do everything in-house or the key yeah. strategic alliances or uh, other folks you work with on some of the, you know, putting some of the projects together? Yeah, well, when when forming uh, the little, you know, it's an advertising agency, full service advertising agency, but I didn't want to have a lot of overhead. Yes. Um, when you talk about being smart, you know, in DealQuest, uh, the idea of being able to partner with really talented people and be able to expand and contract based on the needs of the client 
has made me be, be able to undercut all of the larger agencies out there who have big offices, fancy, beautiful offices that you can go to their boardroom and see a beautiful presentation, but you're paying for that overhead when you go to those advertising agencies. So I'm lean and mean and nimble, but I also, from all of my years working and on Broadway and other places, I have the relationships to be able to do deals um, with really talented people, with the greatest graphic designers who I can bring in, you know, as a specialty, you know, you aren't stuck with the person in house who's good at cars, but bad at drawing computers or whatever it might be. I'm able to do deals with specialists in the industry and bring them in and out based on, you know, the client needs, which has been really great. And, and I think that's a key point. And I was going to, you know, I had it in my mind to raise if you, if you hadn't raised it, but you did is that, you know, this more flexible business model, um, I mean, it's interesting because it's one thing to say, hey, we have lower overhead, we, you know, we, we're more competitively priced. And, and that's something that, you know, small companies have sold on, you know, for, for a long time, forever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the the interesting thing, the thing that's more interesting for me, and it's, you know, it's not, not only because it's sort of more of a deal because you're doing, you're having these strategic alliances or people you partner with or whatever, but but because I think it, um, it answers an objection that people have because, you know, the question, you know, and, and listen, as a small, you know, I compete with the bigger law firms, you know, sure. on my law firm side, we all, you know, have that as entrepreneurs in our various fields. And, um, you know, one, I'm a believer that you're not, if you're selling exclusively, exclusively, which you're not you're, uh, arguing for, but if it, it's a factor, but if you're selling exclusively on being lower price, that's never a good thing because no. people, people buy value, Right. They don't only buy price. So you have to have the other half of it. You have to say, we are cheaper than the big guys and yeah. we're able to do it at least as well or better, right? You need that yes. second half of it. Yes, yes. And uh, because because if cheaper means poorer product, I mean, you know, you can you can get some, you know, there's always a cheaper version of something. So what this business model has done, which is a more deal-based model and employment model, is I think given the best argument for companies like yours, like mine, like a lot of others, to say why you can actually compete and, and do as good or maybe even better product than some of the some of the bigger places. And that is because you can partner with the exact right talent for the project on any given thing. And you know, when you have somebody in-house and you're paying them salary, right? You're gonna want to use them for the project. And you gave a great example, you know, where somebody's good on cars and they're not good on you know computers, you know. So uh, I actually think this evolution in business model. Um, where you do de- you have relationships, strategic alliances, new deals with key people that you bring in when you need them has really made smaller entrepreneurial companies truly much more competitive because not only do you have the price side, but you have you can compete on quality. And yes, win. absolutely. I agree with you. And but you know the flip side of that is also Corey, not to age both of us, but we've been doing it for decades. It's very yes. different. You know, if you're a small company and it's some kid out of college, right out of law school or something like that, yes. you have years and years of experience putting together amazing deals. And as a lawyer, you have all of these different, you know, experiences that you bring to the table. So now you are in this amazing position of being able to offer your clients all of that expertise without the overhead. You know, I come from a background, as you said, I've directed Jennifer Lopez and, you know, Super Bowl spots and, you know, John Legend and Carrie Underwood. You know what, before we go any further, 
I should probably warn the listeners of your podcast to watch their toes because clearly I'm going to be dropping a lot of names. (laughs) But the point is, the point is we come to it with lots of experience. And so having had the experience on all of those other deals, now being able to apply them, just as you said, to bring in specialists uh, because we have those relationships is a win-win for the clients. It wouldn't be the same if we were brand new to either of our respective industries. Uh no question about it. And I, I, do, I do agree with you. I think it's an evolution of our experience, but it, but it also is an evolution of business model, right? You know, yeah. I mean, it, you know, folks our age, you know, uh, when we were younger, right, you know, right. three years ago, right, you know, whatever, <laughs> but, you know, decade, right, but I'm mean, all kidding aside, but decades ago, um, there were just fewer options. People didn't work this way as much. So I think it's a combination of, of both, no question, you know. Absolutely. COVID taught me. The ability to not have to be in the recording studio, to be on set. You know, um, I had uh, the great fortune of working on the Universal Studios backlot for over 20 years. And it was amazing to be able to, I got to drive the golf cart around and (laughs) it was like a dream come true. And I just thought that was how you did production. And now with the new technologies that are out there, um, if you have built those relationships, you don't physically need to be in the same spaces that any of us used to in order to have a successful business. Yeah. Yeah. No question. So Dean, you also do speaking, obviously we mentioned your Ted talk and a little, a little, a little, uh, you know, little piece of that. uh, Sure. uh, But tell us, uh, tell us also about what your other speak, you know, what what do you speak on? uh, What do you speak? Give us a little bit about you speaking. Yeah. Well, the producer's perspective, as I mentioned before is, is um, my key speech that I'm often asked to do. And what's really wonderful is it's, you know, full of all of the pizzazz of some of those backstage stories, real things that have happened when I've uh, been lucky enough to produce in different arenas, but how it can apply to just about any business or any life situation. So that's the one that I do uh, most commonly. And it's been really wonderful. I've been able to travel the world doing it. Of course, during COVID, uh, everything went virtual, but things are slowly beginning to open up. And so I'm going to be, you know, uh, doing different presentations of the producer's perspective around the world. Um, I also talk about storytelling for business and get very, you know, specific with how to hone your specific story in the marketplace uh, for your business. Um, I've also done uh, speeches at colleges, which has been really fun. You know, Um, the, the, how to go from being, you know, in, in class to the corner office, you know, how to make that transition and um, the, you know, the behind the scenes stuff that I just wish somebody would have told me, <laughs> you know, we all learned the hard way if, if somebody would have just given me this little bit of a roadmap. And so that uh, one is very specific to college aged audiences, um, which is also something that I've done quite a bit. Love it. Love it. Um, one other question, and then I will we'll get to the last couple of questions to wrap this up. Um, so you, you know, you went from being in a uh, in a big company environment for many, many years to being an entrepreneur. I'm always fascinated by that transition. I did it many years ago. I, yeah. you know, I work with uh, uh, part of what I do in various fields. Financial services certainly is take people who are employed uh, and and help them become you know businesses and entrepreneurs. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about that decision and that journey. And, you know, uh, uh, I, I, most folks I know, once they go and become an entrepreneur, they don't go back, but it yeah. doesn't mean that it's a hundred percent, you know, 
Rose, there's some advantages of being at a, you know, at a place that's absolutely, got a absolutely. You know, so and tell I, us a little bit about you. Yeah, it's all very new and it's very exciting and very scary, of course. But it, uh, you know, as you said, it gives you the flexibility. Um, my TED Talk uh, uh, surpassed 100,000 views recently. And so I'm being asked to speak more. And this really gives me the freedom to be able to take a client and work on a project for a business for a month. And then once you know that I've delivered that, I can say, oh, I'm going to be a guest speaker on a cruise ship you know, for three weeks. Right. Um, so having the freedom to be able to travel and to go back and forth between doing public speaking. I've also started teaching. I'm a professor at Troy University. And I have the flexibility to be able to call my own schedule as an entrepreneur. So there are certainly advantages, but, um, you know, uh, working part of a large company also has, you know, it's amazing aspects as well. So it's very new, but so far so good. That's awesome. Well, listen, I'm, I'm excited for you, obviously, you know, with your background and relationships and skills, um, you know, you're going to, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be great. I'm sure. I mean, I, um, you know, I, I, I'm sort of, I look back and when I, I started my own law firm when I was 30. So you talk about, you know, I, I was just six years out of school. I didn't have the kind of relationship I have now. Um, you know, so it took me, uh, it took me, you know, something to, you know, to, to, to build it. And I always, I look yeah. at folks who make that move later in a career when they really have much stronger, you know, relationships and a rep, much bigger reputation and not that it's easy, but, 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 it, you know, it's, it's like, you know, Hey, you know, you got a lot in place. Uh, people know your talent, know your skills. And, you know, so I'm sure um, you have already been and you will continue to be, you know, super successful with it. Thank you. And I wish you, I wish you all the best with it. Um, so talking about that and, you know, your talks and everything you do, what's the, what's the best place or uh, places for people to find out more about you? Dean McFlicker.com. Dean is my you know first name, like Dean Martin or James Dean. So Dean, last name McFlicker, which is like Mick, like McDonald's, flicker like a movie flickering. So Mick, Dean McFlicker.com is an easy place to just uh, get in touch with me if you uh, have want to talk at all or reach me. That's the easiest place. And of course, my TED Talk is on TED.com. Uh, if you search for Dean McFlicker on TED.com, you'll be able to see that as well. Love it. So, you know, B, he said he just passed 100,000. So let's let's get him up to a couple of <laughs> Sounds uh, good. <laughs> so uh, my final question on the podcast is always about my highest uh, value in life, which is freedom. And yeah. for me, that means uh, everything from freedom, from oppression, from all peoples around the world to the reason I'm an entrepreneur and I don't have a boss and I run, you know, run my own company uh, and create my own life. What does freedom mean to you in your life and business? Great question. What does freedom mean to me? I think um, it's evolving, right? Um, freedom is the ability to adapt, the, the ability to grow, to keep changing, to um, strive for new things and to, to keep trying to be a better person, um, a better business person and a better person in the world. Mm, love it. Love it. Dean McFlicker, thank you so much for being a phenomenal guest on the Deal Quest podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Deal Quest, where we help you understand how deal driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. I want to invite you to a unique way to tap into the wisdom and experience of the Deal Quest community. Join the Deal Quest Deal Den Zoom calls, a free monthly 90 minute mastermind. In the mastermind, we address all the challenges you may be facing and help support you with the opportunities that may arise in terms of deal-driven growth. 
you will get input not only from me, but all the members on the call will collaborate and serve each other in a mastermind format. To sign up for the free mastermind, go to www.coreycupfer.com slash dealden. That's coreycupfer.com slash dealden. I'll see you there. I'm Corey Kupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.